Thank you for joining us on the Access Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor Kurt Ames. How many of you were here last week for last week's message? Raise your hands high. Good. Um, I'm going to preface tonight's message a little bit by doing a little bit of a review for those of you who were not able to be here last week. Um, So if you have your Bibles, you brought your um, gadget. What are they called? iPads, iPhones, you know, Androids. Who's got Android technology in here anyway? That stuff is stale. (laughs) Get rid of it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not a hater on it. I I actually think uh, they're all good, right? So I just think that iPhones are superior. That's all. That's just my opinion. So iTechnology, personally, my opinion. Who uh, watched some Detroit Tigers baseball last night? Anybody? Yep. Verlander was that close, that close to a no-hitter and blew it in the last inning. So anyways, I'm a Tigers fan, if y'all didn't know. Uh, I have a a couple special guests that have actually arrived um, earlier this week. One uh, is my, my sister. Melissa, stand up, Melissa, face everybody so I can embarrass you for a moment. This is my, this is my little sister, Melissa. Um, she was actually told by Emily Mayo earlier that um, she looks just like me, except she's pretty. So that was, got that going for you. And then my mother, the, the woman who gave birth to the both of us, my mother Lori is here as well tonight. Stand up, Mom. Face everybody, smile. You have to smile too. Come on, that's my mom. There you go. Excellent. So glad that you guys are here, sort of. I'm kidding. My, my, sister, my sister's in town from Wisconsin, so she lives in Wisconsin now with uh, her two children, my niece and nephew, and so they've been at the house all week, and we've just been having fun with the kids and hanging out, so and I cooked her my ribs. <laughs> you guys heard about my ribs, right? Mm-hmm. She came in town. So she's a, she's a faithful podcast listener uh, from Wisconsin, and so she actually texted me or called me or something or whatever, and, and after she listened to that sermon where I described in vivid detail, I painted that little picture for everybody about those ribs. You remember that? I can't go through it because it's about a 10-minute long process of just talking it out, and she calls me and says, I want those. those. She said she was salivating when she was listening over podcasts. So I said, I'll make them for you. So we made them today. And she said they were the best ribs, home-cooked ribs that she's ever had. So I don't know what that means. But uh, <laughs> she's probably had two people cook them at home for her in her life. And I won. I'm like, yeah. So anyways, where are we at? First Kings chapter 19. Um, let me preface this before we throw it up on the screen. Um, this is where Elisha is called by God into his destiny and into his calling. And before we read the text, I just want to recap again a little bit from last week's message. For those of you who were not here, I titled the message, Burn. And what we talked about last week was there's probably some things in our lives, every single one of us, good and bad things, that we need to burn some bridges from our past, some things that are tethering us to our past, that are keeping us from God's best for us in the future. How many of you know that God isn't, isn't really concerned about your past because your past has been dealt with? God went into your past, he redeemed it, he went into your future, made plans for you, and he also walks beside you in the process we serve an amazing God. And so he wants you to move forward, and we all, all, all have more to experience, more to encounter in this lifetime with God. Amen, somebody? 
So that's what we talked about, burning up some things that needed to be burned up in our lives. Paul said it this way, I just, I forget what lies behind me. He was talking about good and bad things that he had done. I forget all those things and I press on towards the prize for which Christ, Jesus, has called me heavenward. And what he meant by that is I'm not concerned about my past, the good and the bad. I need to be concerned about what God's concerned about. And God is no longer concerned about your past. As far as the east is from the west, your sins have been forgiven. Now forget all of that, the good and the bad. Let's press in and press on for what God has for us. So I want to tell you a little bit about a guy named Elijah. Elijah was an incredible man. He was one of the most well-known prophets of the Old Testament. And God used Elijah in miraculous ways. And the New Testament actually describes him as a, as a human being, as an ordinary, ordinary man, ordinary human being just like us. And I just love that. It gives me hope because God still uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And so God used Elijah in miraculous ways. Uh, here's some stuff from Elijah's resume, okay? Here's a few things that he did. Elijah predicted the beginning and the end of a three-year drought. God used him to restore a dead child to his mother, he represented God in a showdown with priests of Baal and Asherah, and he's riding on a motorcycle outside right now. Can you hear that? He's back from the dead. Kidding. He called fire down from heaven, and in the New Testament, in the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus actually uh, showed himself in his glory to Peter, James, and John, Elijah and Moses show up out of seemingly nowhere, and they end up conversating with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, to sum it up, Elijah was a pretty, pretty bad dude. He was bad to the bone. So in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, Elijah is about to pass on his anointing and his ministry to a younger man whose name is Elisha. And so we pick up the story there in verse 19 of 1 Kings, and the word says this. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Now, if you're wondering about future baby names, you might want to consider Shaphat. You could call him Fat for short with a PH. Yeah, okay. Actually, that, oh gosh, Lord, keep me on track after this. So, I've told a story in here few times about what has happened to me. My last name is Ains. It's spelled A-N-E-S, okay? Lori Ains and Melissa Ains. And we have been, I, I told the story about how telemarketers call and all that, and could I speak to Mrs. Anus? Could I speak to Mr. Anus is what they say every single time. So I was telling that story about Brendan when he actually, my son, my eight-year-old son first started playing basketball and they do this whole thing where they darken down the gym and then they do a spotlight and they play like jock jams and the kids run out. It is awesome. But they come out of the smoke and they're running and, and the guy that was doing the announcements takes the microphone and he says, number 15, Brendan Anus. And I looked over at my wife. I said, it's begun, honey. It has begun. <laughs> And so I told that story from stage, and there was a guy, I think he might be here. Dustin, are you here? Dustin McPherson, I saw him earlier. Anyways, he was sitting back there, and so Bodie wasn't born yet, my son who's sitting over here with my wife. And so when Lindsay was pregnant, we were, I was talking about names and doing that, and so, so I tell the story, and Dustin speaks up from the back, and he goes, name him Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I about died on stage. I, I laughed for five minutes like, 
Oh my gosh. Shafat. Call him fat. <laughs> All right. Oh, here we go. Back on track. We're moving the train forward, people. He was plowing. <laughs> that is funny. I'm sorry. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. In other words, he's just working. He's just doing his job. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So Elijah comes up to Elisha, takes his cloak, throws it on him, and then apparently just starts walking away. Because the text says, the very next sentence, that Elisha left all that he was doing and ran towards Elijah. And now, uh, this was a significant moment in time for both Elijah and Elisha. Elijah took his cloak, and what that meant was, I, I'm calling you into something more, and I'm calling you into your destiny, into God. And so the placing of the cloak around him, Elijah and Elisha both knew the meaning and significance of this. And the response, the immediate response from Elisha was to leave everything that he was familiar with and to follow, and matter of fact, he ran after Elisha, representing he's running into his calling and in his destiny in God. Goes on, it says, let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Another translation says, think about what I've done for you. And then verse 21, so Elisha left him and went back, he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and then they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. Now, Elisha was hit by Elijah's mantle, signifying the call of God in his life. And God was actually calling and inviting Elisha into a life of more. He's calling and inviting every single one of you in this room tonight to something more. God has more for all of us, but the more that he has for us is not found in chasing after more things. The more that he has for us will be given to us as we seek more of God himself. Please make note that when Elijah placed his cloak and his mantle on Elisha, that Elijah, Elisha actually burned up everything that was keeping him tied to his past, and we need to do the same. But also that he went chasing down a person. This is key. He went chasing down and running after a person, not the calling. This is gonna be key for tonight's message. He chased and he ran after the caller, not the calling which leads me to the only point that I have for tonight's sermon. And then I'm going to unpack it a little bit further with a story of Jesus when he called his disciples. And then I'm going to simply tell you my personal testimony, some failures along the way, some things that I needed to get right in my heart and right in my relationship with God that I hope will transfer to you as you pursue God, and in pursuing God, him calling you and bringing you into your destiny. 
So that's what we're gonna do tonight. And I've told bits and pieces of the testimony that I'm gonna share over the last few years, but I've never told it in, it in its entirety. And the word of God says this in Revelation 12, 11. It says, and we, the song that we sang tonight, you heard it, he is overcome, he is overcome. The word of God says that we now overcome him, the enemy of this world, the enemy of your soul, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And I'm just praying that the testimony that I share tonight is gonna help you to overcome some things and, and maybe steer clear of some things and uh, just to help position you in a posture where you can receive more from God. And I, I just pray that it calls you into a deeper communion and fellowship with him. That's what this entire message is about. I have one point tonight, and it's simply this. Never seek your calling without first seeking your caller. Never place the promises of God for your life, the prophetic words that you've been given or spoken about you over your life, never place them above the promiser. In other words, you have dreams, never place the dream above the dream giver. God and your relationship with him will always, always, always be far more important than anything, than anything you and I accomplish in this lifetime. Jesus said it the best. Matthew 6, verse 31. So do not worry. Stop right there. Take the text off the screen. So do not worry. So do not worry. Friends, we need to stop worrying so much. <laughs> we need to stop worrying so much, and we need to stop worrying, and I just want you to just lay some things down tonight regarding your calling, regarding your purpose. Every ministry opportunity that I've had recently to just personally connect with people, whether it's in the church over the phone. Matter of fact, I received a voicemail when I got into the office tonight, the very first voicemail that I heard, and this just seems to be a common denominator, a guy calling and saying, I feel like I'm called to do full-time ministry. And what I, want, what, I, what I end up saying to everybody is, well, you're already called to that. So what do you do? I'm a teacher. Oh, good, so you're a missionary in the school system. Full-time. That's great. But here's, here's, the, here's the issue, is everybody that I know that, I've, that I'm coming into contact, not everybody that I know, I shouldn't have said it that way, everybody that I'm meeting with and all the meetings that, are being, that I'm being asked to go into are all circling around this very topic, my calling, my purpose, my destiny. And every single time I sit down and meet, and these people, I don't even know them. I've never met them, and for whatever reason, they're calling me. They're calling me, and I'm sitting down with them, and it always ends up in the same place. And ministry, or whatever the call of God is, they feel like the call of God is on their life has become an idol to them. And they've actually placed the calling and the destiny above the caller and above God, and they've become discontent, they've become callous, they've become impatient, they've become distant from God and their relationship with God and relationship with people is suffering because of it. So do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. And that includes your future. Stop worrying so much about, about your future. Stop worrying so much about the plans and the purposes and the destinies that God has for you. Seek first him, and we're gonna get to that point right now. He says, do not worry, and, and I wanna say something else along those lines, though, too. Including our callings and destinies in God, stop worrying about that, but how many of you know it is okay to make plans for your future? 
absolutely okay. Matter of fact, it's good. You should make plans for your future. Do that. But make sure that your plans are surrendered fully to God. Make plans, but surrender them to God. Because listen, God knows best, doesn't he? He knows you better than you know you. He knows what you want better than you know what you want, and he knows what you need a whole lot better than what you need, what you think you need. So he says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? So these people are coming to Jesus, and this is what they're saying. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What are we going to do? What am I going to do? What about tomorrow? What about this? What about that? All these problems are being casted at Jesus, and they're all asking him because they know he's the anointed one. They're saying, what what about this? What, 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 what? They're worrying. For the pagans run after all these things. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus is saying that ungodly people run after stuff that they shouldn't worry about. And isn't it also interesting that Elisha ran after a person, and that person that he ran after was the man who called him into his destiny. He ran after a person. And he, and he goes on, he says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. God knows what you need, and he knows your heart better than you know your own. Verse 33, this is where Jesus gives us the solution to the problem of worry, to the problem of focusing on the wrong things. He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying simply this, if you'll just seek me, my kingdom, and to be in a right-standing relationship with me. All of the things that you are worried about right now, I'll add them all in for free. It's really not that difficult. We overcomplicate stuff all the time, ladies and gentlemen. Do we not? It's really, really really simple, and it's the law of focus, and listen to me, you guys know this, every single one of you in this room, no matter where you're at with God tonight, understands this concept. Whatever you focus on the most organizes everything else in your life. If you're focused on the pursuit of getting high, drugs will organize the rest of your life, even your bank account. If you're focused on seeking pleasure or seeking love in all the wrong places, then you're going to allow other men or women to organize the rest of your life and you're gonna end up somewhere that you were never meant to go. Jesus said it this way. Let me break it down for you in a Wendy's, uh, what do you call that? Analogy. (laughs) It's a hard word to say. So a Wendy's analogy. How many of you like Wendy's? Come on, somebody. Yeah, it's fresh stuff. It's good. You know what else I love about them? is that they throw away all their unused beef at the end of the night. That's awesome. I like it. Fresh lettuce, fresh tomato. Anyway, I could go on. You know me and food, right? (laughs) But here's what happens for me, and I know it happens for you too. When I focus, my mind goes to focusing on Wendy's at about 11.30 in the morning when my stomach starts saying, feed me, right? And I think about Wendy's. I'm going to end up at Wendy's. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to get a junior bacon cheeseburger, maybe some fries, Frosty, of course, throw in the kid Frosty. You got the little keychain where you can get one for free. That's the best. <laughs> but whatever you focus on most will organize the rest of your life. Jesus is all he's saying is, listen, if you'll just seek first me and my kingdom, 
I'll organize the rest of your life for you. And all those things that you're worried about, all those things that you're, you know, you're, you're trying to make plans, listen, I'll take care of those things for you. How many of you know that there is power in heaven? We're to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if you want that in your life, how many of you want that in your life? Raise your hand, be honest tonight, good. And if you didn't, then the truth is not in you and you are a liar. But <laughs> if you want that, all you gotta do is continue to seek Jesus first. Give him first place. His kingdom, first place, doing things for him and from him to this earth. And he promises us, I'll take care of the rest for you. Even your callings, even your purposes, even your destinies. And he goes on. He finishes it up by saying, all these things will be given to you. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Come on, somebody. Uh-huh. Elisha, in the story of Elijah passing on the mantle to Elisha, Elisha doesn't seem to me to be too concerned about tomorrow. Matter of fact, he was simply doing his job. He was out in the field plowing with his oxen being faithful right where God had called him to be in that moment. Are you being faithful right where you are right now with what God has called you to do? Because the person who is faithful with little and what they've been given can then be promoted into more, receiving more, getting more. Does that make sense? All right. He says this in verse 19. He was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen. He's just simply working, doing his job. Elisha comes up, throws his cloak, and immediately in verse 20, here's what it says, and I love this about some of the heroes of the Bible, is there is no, there's no sentence in there saying, and, and so he knelt down and he prayed, and he was, now I'm pretty sure he was probably prayed up, saying, you know what, God, whatever your will is for my life, I wanna do that, so my answer is yes ahead of time, and when the call of God came on his life, bam, he starts running after it. And it was a person that he chased after. Notice that. He ran after Elisha. Are we running after Jesus day in and day out? Because if we run after the caller instead of chasing after the calling, the caller, the promise giver, the promise maker, the promised one of the Old Testament will organize your life. And he'll add all that stuff that you long for, that you worry about. He'll, he'll throw it in for free. Because there's power in heaven, and heaven can organize your life if you let it. So, Matthew chapter 4. This is where Jesus began building his dream team that would change the world. And he began assembling that team in Capernaum, which is on the northern uh, bank and shore of the Sea of Galilee. So, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They're casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Notice something. They were doing what they were called to do right then. They were fishing. They were contributing to society and to the economic climate in that city and beyond. Fishing. They were simply doing their job, being faithful right where they were. Verse 19. Notice verse 19. 1 Kings 19, 19. The call comes in verse 19. Come follow me, Jesus says, while they were being faithful right where they were. Not worrying about tomorrow, the call of God came. He says, follow me. I will send you out to fish 
for people. And boom, right there is the calling of God on their life. Isn't it interesting, though, that first he says, come follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. I will bring you into your destiny. And by the way, their destiny was to become fishers of people, fishers of men. It's the same destiny that every single person in this room has. That's one of our callings in Christ Jesus as well. And by the way, it is very, very simple and we overcomplicate it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is very, very simple. The Bible, in a nutshell, is this. Love God and love his people. And if you can do that, and if you can do that well, you will woo other people into the kingdom of God. Anybody know what woo means? Winning others over, okay? You want evangelism at its best, friends? Love God and love people and do it sincerely and they'll be attracted to it. They'll want in. And here's the cool thing. Jesus is still building his dream team. (laughs) This is the awesome part. Jesus is still building his dream team and everyone gets to play. He's the owner of the team. He's the owner of the ship. He's the captain of the whole deal. He's the CEO, and he says everybody gets to play, and he wants every single one of you out on the playing field. There are no cuts in the kingdom of God. Amen? Come on, somebody. Some of y'all got cut in here, and you are still bitter about it. Listen to me. You want, yeah, who got cut in here from a sports team before? You liars. That is, that, four people raised their hand. I love you guys. Michael Jordan's in the back raising his hand right now. But listen to me. There are no cuts in God's kingdom. There are no cuts for his dream team. Everyone gets to play. And then, listen to this. He says, come follow me. I will make you into fishermen of people. Verse 20. I love the obedience. At once. Not they thought about it. Not they got down and knelt down and prayed. Not that they went to church. Now, they didn't go talk to their mentors. Nope, they didn't do any of that. They knew the call of God came, and here's what they said. At once, they left their nets, and they followed them. No hesitation when the call of God came. They had radical obedience to the call of God on their life. And by the way, the only right and true response for a true follower of Jesus Christ when the call of God comes on your life is irrational obedience. There's going to be things that God's going to ask you to do that are absolutely bizarre. But when it comes, the only right response is to obey. Even if it's irrational, even if it seems out there. By the way, mom, Melissa, would you have ever thought that I'd be doing this? Speak up. You should see their faces right now. I wish I had a camera. No, absolutely not. But when the call of God came, my heart was positioned to say yes and to leave everything that I had behind to follow the call of God in my life. That's the only right response for a follower of Christ when the call of God comes. You know what? Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'd like to meet that woman one day. And I'm going to. She's awesome. At the wedding of Cana, the first miracle that Jesus ever performed, they ran out of wine. 
You guys know the story? All these people came and they're like, oh, we're out of wine, man. What we're going to do? And you know what she said? Just do whatever he says. <laughs> Just do it. She was Nike before Nike. <laughs> whatever he says, whatever he tells you to do, you just do that. Simple. But our, our calling is always going to be found in following Jesus Christ and having a right relationship with him. God is more concerned. Listen, this is my whole message. It is very, very simple. But if you take it and apply it in your life, it will have profound implications on your life, on your callings, and on your destinies, and on your relationship with other people around you. It's simply this. God is more concerned about your relationship, your trust, your obedience to him and your heart condition towards him than he is about your calling, about your purpose, about your destiny. And don't get me wrong, he's concerned about all of those things. He's concerned about every aspect of our lives. Don't get me wrong. He's concerned about your calling and your destiny and your purpose. He wants you to fulfill those things because when you fulfill those things, our Father in heaven gets the glory. And you become joyful. So don't hear what I'm saying wrong. All I'm merely saying is this. He is more concerned about are you vertical with me? Are you right with me? And is your heart right with me? Do you trust me? Are you in obedience to me? Is, are we good? Because if we're not good, you're no good this way. We are to do life from heaven to earth. The only way to do that is if we have a right standing and right relationship with God. You guys with me? May 5th, 2009. Story time. You guys ready? I don't know where we're going to go, so we'll try to get through it. May 5th, 2009. I'm in my truck. I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, received salvation, cried out to Jesus. I was sobbing. I had just gone from contemplating ending my life um, in my truck. And uh, immediately, I, I, I was radically delivered from all of that. And I, I just, from my heart, just like the rest of you, and by the way, the one thing that we all have in common, our, our common denominator tonight, is that when that call of God came to call out on his name, we all said yes. And I did it in my truck, and... Uh, Can't even. I just. I've never been the same since. You know the story. It's the same story. It's your story. Whether whether it was from a religious background or from bondage or whatever it might be, drugs and alcohol. It, it doesn't matter. You know what salvation feels like, and that's what it was for me. And in that moment, when I got saved, when I gave my life to following Jesus Christ, no matter what, here's what I spoke out loud to Him. I said, "Lord, whatever you want me to do with my life." My answer is yes, ahead of time. I will never do things my way again. And I meant what I said. Now, I've failed at that in different seasons of my life because I'm human. But I meant what I said. I don't want to do things my way anymore. I will do things your way. But you have to speak to me. I'm, I'm trusting you that you're going to be speaking to me, that I'm going to know what, you're, that what you want me to do. I hope that you make it plain. But whatever you want for my life, I'm all in, and that's what I want. And as soon as I said that, 
it was interesting because I can't really describe it to you, but I'll, I'll just call it this. I've heard it said, and I, don't, I just don't have a, a better terminology for it right now, is I got a download, um, and it wasn't like an open vision or anything. It was something that I, I could like almost picture in my mind, and I got this picture that I was standing up, and I was proclaiming the word of God. Pretty simple. And I knew in my heart, and you guys know this too, there's just times when you know that you know that you know that you know that you know something. I knew that that had something to do with my future and that God was gonna take everything that was meant for evil and turn it into good. So I had this download and I had this new desire in my heart to preach and to teach the word of God. So that takes place. I tell my wife about it. It sounded absolutely crazy at the time because she knew me better than anybody. Uh, but I knew that I knew that I knew. And uh, I started reading the word of God. I started studying the word of God every day. I was listening to preachers coming into church, taking journals full of sermons. And by the way, those of you who are taking notes in here, you're the wisest people in the room. The shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. So I started doing all this. I'm listening to, to preachers. I'm attending conferences. I'm seeking God first. I'm seeking his kingdom first. And I was um, in my house, and I was reading a Kenneth Hagin Bible faith study course. It was one of the first things I got as a Christian. I did it just Bible faith study course. Ooh, that sounds good. I'm gonna eat that up. Come on, give it to me. So I'm at home and, and I'm going through this Bible faith study course and I'm working in commercial real estate at the time. I'd been in it for three years, built up. I was overseeing like $18 million worth of uh, potential uh, uh, building. Um, what do you wanna call it, honey? I was an industrial advisor. Anyway, that was kind of a big deal. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I had like built up this, this portfolio. Thank you. Man, my mind. See, you complete me. You complete me. This portfolio, $18 million, and I was really set up to make some money. And I'm in my Bible faith study course that morning, and I prayed. I'm baby Christian at this point, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe three weeks in. And so that morning I, 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 I pray and God tells me to quit my job. I'm like, what? No, I can't do that, man. I can't quit my job. You know, irrational obedience is the only response of a true follower of Jesus Christ. And I, that's the deal I made with him. I remembered my truck. I said, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. I quit my job only after I called my wife, terrified to call my wife because we were broke at the time. Um, I wasn't making money. We, were, we couldn't even pay rent. We were struggling in every area of our lives. We, I didn't know if we were going to get divorced yet. I mean, she was possibly going to leave. It, it was just we were a mess. And, uh, and I called her up. And so this is, by the way, the most irrational thing that I could have done at the time. And I called her up that morning. I said, honey, I feel like God is asking me to quit my job. She says, Okay, if that's what you think. I said, okay, bye. <laughs> Click. And I went into my employer. I couldn't believe she said it. I go into my employer, and I said, I got to put in my two weeks. And they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't have a plan. I, 
I, I burned that plan. <laughs> I don't have one. And I didn't get all religious on him. God spoke to me and told me. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't do that. By the way, don't do that, okay? <laughs> don't be weird, right? Just keep it to yourself, you know? And tell people close to you or that you trust and confide in. So I went in and, and, and said, I got to quit. And, and my, you know, they were all concerned about me. Everybody was concerned about me. But I just knew that it was God. And so I quit and uh, was unemployed for five months. Completely frustrated completely. Lord, you told me to do this and, and you're not, I, I've got no job. I'm not providing. And so five months go by and I'm sitting in my living room at the time of our, where we were living at the time and, and on the computer screen. And one of the desires of my heart was I wanted to be in medical device sales. I wanted to do medical device sales, but I had a bad driving record. I had a DUI I had faced a potential felony for possession of cocaine. And so those of you who understand the pharmaceutical field, that understand the medical device field, salesmen, you have to drive to and from all the time, different hospitals all over the place. I, had a, I did not have a clean driving record, okay? So I could not get one of those jobs. It was impossible, okay? I'm crying. I'm crying sitting at my desk on the computer, and I'm torturing myself by looking at all these different job postings about medical device jobs in Grand Rapids, Michigan that I could have had that now I can't have. And I remember as I'm crying, my wife comes in uh, home from the day as she's working. She's the one bringing home the bacon, right? And uh, she's the breadwinner, and, and I'm feeling like I'm a failure. I'm a failure as a man, I'm a failure as a husband, and I'm a failure as a father. And I was so sorry, and I remember crying and sobbing to her saying, honey, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I could have had any one of these jobs and I blew it. Go to sleep that night, wake up the next morning, and then the call came. I didn't submit a resume. I did not submit anything. I wasn't in pursuit of it. I get a call from a guy. He says, hey man, this is Jason. And, uh, I won't say his last name, but this is Jason. And, and I said, I'm sorry, who? He says, yeah, yeah, don't you remember? Uh, three years ago in Kalamazoo, we met at that one function that you were at. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I think I, okay, Jason. I didn't know, you know, I was still like, no, I'm a little confused. That was three years ago, you know. Uh, and he's like, hey, man, so I wanted to talk to you about this job opportunity. Would you be open to talking about it? I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. Would love to uh, connect on it. And right before we got off the phone, I said, so Jason, why don't you tell me real quick, what is the job opportunity? He says, well, it's in the medical device field. And I was like, that sucks because... Now we're going to meet and have lunch. I'm going to tell him what happened. i got to be honest and truthful about my past and things, you know, and consequences. So I said, but I'll still meet with you. Okay, why don't we meet? And I didn't say anything over the phone at the time. I said, let's meet. Let's do lunch. So the next day we did lunch. We hooked up over at the Blue Ginger right over here in Byron Center. And uh, we sat down, and he went through this whole spiel and, about this job, and I'm just going, yes, 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 that's, that's me. I, 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 man, that's me to a T. I want that job. And I said, but here's what happened, Jason. Uh, I, I got a DUI, and, you know, uh, I, I had pos possession of cocaine, and I got, a, you know, a restricted driver's license. So, um, you know, I understand fully if this meeting goes nowhere else than this. And he looked at me in the face, and he said, yeah, I know about that. <laughs> I said, 
okay. <laughs> so where do we go from here? He says, I still want to, I still want to pursue this with you. And I said, why? <laughs> I don't have a clean driving record. There's no way I can get into the hospitals. There's no way that I, in the natural, you can't, it's impossible. But when you're in right relationship with God, the favor of God comes on your life and the impossible becomes very possible. And he said, he said, I said, so why? Why are you willing to do this? He goes, I don't know, man. I was just in prayer and I felt like God put you, your name, gave me your name. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Let's do this, you know? I'm like, come on, man, let's roll. I'm in. And sure enough, man, I just kept going through the process and, and, and I kept telling my wife, man, I was even in, I'm not gonna lie. Listen, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm not perfect. You hear me say this a lot, right? I, I was literally moving forward like, oh my God, you're amazing, but I don't think this is actually gonna work out. Like, you know what I'm saying? Kind of a little unbelief mixed in with like the faith. You know what I'm talking about? That tension, right? Listen, you know what real faith is? It's just simply saying, I don't have it all figured out, God. I don't understand everything there is to know about you, but I trust you and I'll just hold your hand. And you're a good dad. I just trust you to lead me in the right place. That's faith. You understand? So that takes place. I'm able to buy the house that we always long for in, in, in our neighborhood that we wanted to be in, in the school district we wanted to be in. I mean, the favor of God came on my life. Within six months, I was making six figures. I mean, all of these things are taking place. I'm going to work with such a thankful heart. Every morning I woke up. I was so thankful to God for what he had done. God, thank you so much. I'm so ready to serve today. God, I just wanna serve you and I'll serve you by serving him and I'll serve them and I'll serve that client and this guy. Oh, I'm so thankful, man. And I, that went on for about two years. But the call of God that God gave to me in that download at my moment of saying yes to following Jesus and pursuing him and pursuing more, the call to preach and teach the word of God was still there. And I couldn't get rid of it. And I started to become ungrateful. And I started to become unthankful because I felt like I wasn't operating out of the things that I believe God wanted me to do and the things that God wanted me to pursue. And so I became ungrateful. I became discontent, discouraged, all these nasty D words that exist out there, right? D, why are D words so awful? There's a lot of good R words. And anyway, that's another, that's another deal. But I was so thankful, and then I became ungrateful, and I was spending all of my time, and some of you are gonna feel me on this right now. I was spending all of my time thinking about what wasn't happening in my life, and all of my discussions with those closest to me was about what God was not doing in my life. And it led me to this place of being discouraged, discontent, ungrateful, and I was becoming extremely impatient with God. And so I was so focused. Remember the focus factor. I was focused on what I felt called by God to do and the fact that it wasn't happening when I wanted it to happen discouraged me to no other degree. And our timing, by the way, <laughs> our timing and God's timing usually don't line up, do they? but his timing is perfect because he is perfect. My relationship, you know, and please understand though, in the midst of this, in the midst of this season of me being discouraged because I wasn't in my calling. By the way, I was absolutely in what God had called me to do in that season. I just thought I wasn't. 
But in the midst of that, I kept seeking God. I kept pursuing God. I was going to more conferences. You know, my wife and I, my, my wife and I uh, went down to a Kairos in 2012, which a Kairos event uh, was at Gateway Church. And at this event, uh, during one portion, they had us sitting away from each other. So I was like sitting on one side, she's sitting on one side. And, and, and I think we ended up going back to the elders were lined up almost at the back of the room. They were lined up in a line and we were invited to stand up and go back to meet one of the elders so that they could pray for us. So we go back there. I go to one side, she goes to the other side. And then after she got prayed for and I got prayed for, we kind of came together and we met in the middle. And as she comes up to me, her eyes just pop like this. I'm going, oh my gosh, what happened? She goes, you're going to be a pastor. And I said, no, I am not going to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. Nope, that's not going to happen. We come back from that trip. Two weeks later, we're at the 2012 RLCI, Res Life Church International, uh, right here, down in the main sanctuary. Uh, we come to the, the, this conference, and uh, Jimmy Evans speaks. Matter of fact, it was from this stage uh, that he spoke. I was sitting back in the cafe. What's up, y'all back there in the cafe? Everybody give him a shout out. What's up, you people that are hiding back there? We got room up here, man, just saying. Those shakes are too good. All right. Jimmy Evans gives a message, and I'll never forget it. Changed my life. Called Unholy Discontentment. And he talked about four things in that message that cause discontentment. And the four things were this. One, unthankfulness. Two, comparison. Three, unbelief. And four, deception. And he said, if you can't be happy right now, you'll never be happy. How many of you know the devil's full-time job is to make us discontent with who we are, with where we are, with who you're with, and with what we suppose we should be doing with our lives right now. I did a heart check. He went through all those. I did a heart check, and I found that I was plagued by three out of the four things that he mentioned in his talk. And that message changed my life. Listen, it wasn't the content of the message that actually changed my life, though. It was the application of the content that changed my life because he went through that, and he said this. If you cannot wake up every single morning and say this to God. God, I am thankful for how amazing you are. I'm thankful for who you made me to be. I'm not gonna compare myself to someone else. I am okay with who I am. I'm, I'm thankful for who you have me with and for what you have me doing right now. I'm thankful for that, God. I'm thankful for the job. I'm thank you for, thankful for the school that I've gotten into. I'm thankful, God. I'm thankful, I'm thankful. And I'm thankful for what you are going to do in me and through me. If you can't wake up every single morning and say that to God out of a thankful heart, out of a sincere heart, you will never be happy. And by the way, those types of people who live that way don't attract the favor of God and the blessings of God on their life. God loves, there is protocol to entering into the presence of God. It's found in the book of Psalms. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We give thanks to him. And we enter his courts with praise. We praise him for those things that are good. We focus on the good things in our lives. And when we do that, it attracts more. 
God's attracted to that just like I'm attracted to that and my wife is attracted to that with our kids. When they're thankful for what we give them, we'll give them more. When they're unthankful, I'm taking it away and I'm gonna sell it and give it to someone else. By the way, that's scriptural. Parable of the talents, look it up. So I began to do this every single morning in my car and on my drive time. God, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful. Even on the mornings when I didn't feel like saying it because I'm not a morning person. Come on, man. God, I'm thankful. And I, I just listen, even if you start doing it and you're not sincere, do it until you become sincere because you will. The first, 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 the first thing that faith moves is your mouth. That was a good word, and it totally fell flat. I tried so hard right there. It's still a good word. I don't care if it fell flat. The first thing that should move when you're operating in faith is your mouth. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful, and let me tell you what happened to me in that season of life. Things changed. My relationship with God changed. My heart changed. And here's what ended up happening, friends. This calling, this purpose, this destiny, whatever you wanted to call it, to preach and teach the word of God that I had implanted in my heart by God. The promise that God had given me, that promise that he had shown me, the prophetic picture of what was to come. That I began, listen, I was in a season of trying to chase and seek after my destiny instead of seeking after God. And so what this did for me was put things in perspective in my life. I am thankful for this job. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for all these things. And I started to see things that when you're ungrateful and you're unthankful, how many of you know when you're in a season of unthankfulness and ungratefulness, you just won't see the blessings of God? But then when you start becoming thankful, all of a sudden you start saying, oh my goodness, you're amazing, God. You are absolutely incredible, Lord. You know what? Thank you, thank you. And it changed my heart and it changed my relationship with him. And here's what I ended up doing. I ended up saying to God, I remember it like it was yesterday, so vividly. I said, Lord, I honestly don't care if I ever preach one sermon in this lifetime. I just want more of you. That's it. So here is my promise that you gave me take it. And Lord, here's the other thing. If you want me in sales and in the business world and in the marketplace for the rest of my life, I'm cool with that. I'll do it. And I'll do it with a happy heart because you don't have to do another thing for me. You've done everything that you've needed to do for me and I don't need another thing and I don't even deserve another thing. So thank you. You take that. And you know what it was? I was, I was burning the plow. I was taking... The prom- it was like Abraham when the promise, his promised child Isaac came and God says, will you bring him to the altar? He brought his own son to the altar to be sacrificed. I sacrificed the promise and said, I don't need it. I don't care. I just want more of you. And it was in that season, this is 2012, immediately after that, I'm just becoming thankful. My relationship with God is flourishing and here's what ended up happening. My relationship with him began to flourish again. It was renewed. I had a refreshed, renewed heart. 
I had to repent from some things. My relationship with my wife got better. My relationship with people, and by the way, the marketplace ministry, I was in hospitals where people are like bleeding out half the time because surgeons are cutting arteries and stuff. It was awesome. And so I got to be in there, you know, and like pray. And, and But the ministry opportunities increased significantly. I became competitive in my job again. My sales went through the roof. I was superseding quota all the time just because I was in a right standing. I, I just was right with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? When your heart is right with God, everything, everything else just seems to be awesome. Come on. That's the message tonight. That's it. And in that season, is when all the super there was a flood of supernatural activity that took place. Three months later, after this takes place, and I'm just loving, enjoying life, loving my job again. Can I have the uh, that word there, honey? Three months later, this is June 3rd of 2012. I'm down in the worship center. Thank you, honey, with baby in hand. That's awesome. 2012. I'm down in the worship center. And I get a text from one of our pastors on staff uh, and said, hey, there's a prophetic presbytery in Richland, Michigan tonight at 5 p.m. That's all he said. Didn't say any more. I looked at my wife. I got, got in the car, looked at my phone, said, baby, I don't know what that is. Prophetic what? Presbytery. What is that, right? I don't know. Sounds like God. I know prophecies in the Bible. So cool. Like, all right, you know, should I go? And mom, you probably don't even know this. But this was grandma's, her mother's 70th surprise birthday party over at Uncle Scotty's house, right? I looked at my wife, and so I was supposed to be at this party all day long. My wife says to me, I think you're supposed to go to that. And I said, that's all I need. I'm going. <laughs> I left the party early. Some people weren't happy about that. But I'm seeking God first, right? Drove about an hour by myself to this church I've never been to. Showed up, have no idea what's going to happen. I come in, worship takes place. These four guys from a church in Texas come out who are going to be doing the, the prophetic part of the, the, uh, the service that day. And I felt in my, in my spirit that God was going to speak to me. I just knew. I just had this feeling during worship. And so here's what happened. Uh, I'm sitting in the far back, and Justin, who's in our sound booth, was there, and he's the only guy in the row that I knew. And uh, he worked here at Access. I did not. I was not on staff. I'd never been to Access. So long story short, he, this guy comes over during, during this uh, portion that they called Words and Season, and he comes all the way off the stage, and we're sitting all the way in the far back, and he walks all the way to us, and he stands us up, and he says this. And I saw him coming to me, and you know it's like that moment when you're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, oh, yeah, uh. Don't do it. Don't do it. Right? And he, he stands us up and he says, is this a row of brothers right here? I was like, uh-uh. I don't know any of them. All you guys friends? Nope. I don't know those guys. From you right here all the way down to the guy in the red cap, I want y'all to stand up. He says, y'all, because he's from Texas. So I can see you and look you in the eye. When I was walking through here during worship, you guys caught my attention. It was like something just dropped inside of me. This is his posse. Okay, whatever. You know, all right. And then he says, there was a group of men in the word that were called the sons of Issachar. And this is at the point when he's saying this that I said, what did you call me? 
you, son of what? Sorry, you're supposed to be a man of God, right? I had no idea what he was talking about. So there's a group of men in the word who were called the sons of Issachar. And the Bible says that the sons of Issachar knew the times and the seasons, and they knew what to do. And I feel like God is calling you to your generation, to your people group as sons of Issachar, that God wants you to realize that he's going to drop in your hearts things that you'll, you'll know when a friend is in trouble or a situation is happening among your people group or among your peers, that God's going to drop a word of knowledge into your heart and he wants to encourage you today. He's doing that because he wants you to, to know what to do, how to respond in the times and the seasons because he's going to use you as sons of Issachar to your generation. Then he looks at me and he says, the brother right here in the plaid shirt, I was wearing plaid, y'all. I feel like there's a leadership on you. And I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to read this to you. I know it by heart, but I'm supposed to read it. I don't know why. That's just what I felt led to do. Joshua 1, 7 through 9. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law that which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you for wherever you go. I'm going to challenge you, he said this, I'm going to challenge you that leadership is on your life and you need to be a leader among the sons of Issachar. Don't be afraid. Amen. And it was like I was hit with rocket fuel to my soul. And then I had to go home and Google what the sons of Issachar were. I was like... <laughs> uh, yeah, I called my wife, I said, he called me a name and... Uh, don't remember it. You know, when like people are shotgunning stuff at you like that, you're like, what, what, what? So, but that word meant something to me. This, the word of God shall not depart from your mouth. I knew exactly what that meant. I was going to preach and I was going to teach and I didn't know how it was going to happen. So that took place. And uh, about a month and a half later, July 18th, I'm right here in this room. And I was sitting right back by where you, Bert, and Jasmine are. And I was at Reload at 6.30 in the morning, our men's ministry. And there was a young man who was 26 years old who worked at Grace Adventures who was suffering from stage four cancer and was dying. Gave up, gave an amazing message. I was in my scrubs getting ready to go to work. You're in your scrubs. Love it. Reminds me of the past. And I was sitting right about where you were too. So he gives this incredible message and I'm sobbing because he has a wife and a child that he just brought into the planet, you know, and, and uh, he's dying. And so I had to get up. I had to leave 7.30 in the morning. And so what I did is I got up from where I was sitting and I walked back right to that back wall, right back there where our welcome table is. And Pastor Tom Smith grabbed the microphone and he says, hold on, everybody. I want to do something right now. I want to pray for this young man. We're going to pray healing over his body and we're going to rebuke this cancer. Would you stretch forth your hands as I pray? I stopped in the back of the room, crying my eyes out, and 
never forget it. I'm thinking, all I'm thinking about too, friends, was this young man and how lucky I am to have good health. My family's in good health, and I'm just weeping. Not thinking about anything else. And in the back of the room, I heard, as soon as I bowed my head to pray and extend my hand, I heard audibly, but not audibly. I can't even explain it to you, so I'm not going to try, but it came from the right side because I heard it from here. I'm expediting the process. It'll be three months. I've never heard God speak like that to me before or since. And here's what I'm convinced it was. I'm convinced that an angel was standing next to me declaring the spoken word of God, the oracles of God. You know, angels are spirits. They're ministering spirits that are sent forth by God to minister to those who have inherited salvation. They're spirit beings, and they deliver messages. And all I heard was, I'm expediting the process It'll be three months. And just like that, I opened my eyes and I looked over to my right and there was nothing there. But I knew what I had heard and I was goose-pimpled. I'm goose-pimpled right now even thinking about it. I mean, it was absolutely bizarre. And just understand, I do not hear God like that all the time. So don't think, this is a one-time event for me thus far. I'm praying for more. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I knew things that I couldn't have possibly known. I, from just the word, I'm expediting the process. It'll be three months. I knew something was happening in exactly three months' time. I got out to my car. I called Lindsay, and I said, Honey, I just heard the voice of the Lord in a way that I've never heard it, and this is what I heard, and something's happening in three months' time, and here's what we need to do. We need to you know, like get our finances in order. Like I just knew things that we needed to start doing and planning for, and so that very next Sunday, I'm volunteering here in the ground floor. By, by the way, one of the things that God had asked me to do was get, to get involved in that season. And I got involved in our youth ministry here, and I served under Pastor Daniel for a year and a half, almost two years. And I'm telling you something right now, friends. Lovers of God serve God. They help build the local church. So if you feel like you know what, man, I just need to be doing more. That's all I, I was taking next step after next step after next step. And you know what, I just wanted to serve God. And so that's what I was doing. I was playing pool with a kid, serving God, playing pool with a kid. I mean, come on, it doesn't really, it's not that hard, right? Love God, love people. I'm playing pool back there. Pastor Tom Smith, one of the executive pastors, walks in here and he gets me and he grabs me away from the, this young man who was real professional. And uh, he says, uh, hey, I want, you, I want to ask you a question. This is the very next Sunday. This was July 18th when I heard I'm expediting the process. It'll be three months. That Sunday, so about five day, four days later, he comes in and says, hey, would you be willing to speak at this ministry we have that's called Access at some point? And I said, yeah, sure, I'd love that. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And then he says, well, tell you what, walk outside with me. We walked out that door right there into the hallway. And he stopped me and he says, well, here's the deal. He says, Pastor Blake, Blake McDaniel was the pastor here before uh, he left and I took over here. And so he says, Pastor Blake is leaving the ministry in 90 days. I went, oh. New. In my heart, just like that. That's it. 
I didn't say anything. I didn't say, God spoke to me and here's what he said. You know, oh God, I'm expediting the process. That's it. It's my job. Let's go. I, I didn't do that. That's weird, but people do that stuff, right? Weird Christians, don't be weird. Okay? The only reason you should ever be weird as a Christian is if you're weird like normally. Like if you go to Costco and you're weird, you can be weird. You know what I'm saying? But if you're normal, be normal. Okay? So he says this to me. He's leaving the ministry in 90 days. Immediately. Immediately. Okay? I know that's it. I, I walk over to my wife. She's standing on the other side of the room. I said, wow, you're never going to believe this, honey, but sounds like Pastor. And by the way, I had never talked with Pastor Blake before. Him and I didn't know each other. And I've never been to Access. And so I said, here's what happened. Pastor Blake's leaving the ministry in 90 days. She looks at me. She goes, yep, that's it. I said, well, well, wait a second, because here's another thing that Pastor Tom told me. He says, well, we're, we're pursuing a guy named Darren Tigelar. You guys know Darren Tigelar? And because Darren Tigelar had been speaking here from time to time, and so we're pursuing him. I said, so yeah, they're going to talk to Darren Tigelar, and, and so we're just not going to say anything because, you know what, if this is God, he'll get it done, and we won't have to do a thing. Come on. So... We don't say nothing. A few weeks go by. In the middle of that few weeks, I'm in prayer with the Lord, like, Lord, I don't care. You know, I'm just positioning myself. I just want more of you. I don't care if that ever takes place or not. I'm, I'm not concerned about it. I'm not going to go chasing after it. I'm not even going to tell anybody about what you spoke to me because I trust you to bring me into that place if that's what you're calling me to do. And if it's not, I'm okay with that too. I'll do sales the rest of my life. I love you, right? <laughs> positioning myself like that. Come on. Being real, I wasn't, you know, it's like uber, super spiritual. Just positioning my heart. And two, three weeks go by. Pastor Tom comes back into the ground floor. I'm playing pool with a kid. He takes me away from that kid again and says, yeah, so, uh, so Darren, you know, Tigalar, uh, he's been praying about this job, and he says that it's his dream job. And before I tell you what he said, here's what I had heard from the Lord in that prayer. When I was praying that prayer, God spoke to, to my heart and said, I'm going to tell Darren that he can't have the job. I told my wife what I've, I journaled it in my prayer journal. I've never met Darren up to this point, not once. Don't even know what he looks like. Don't even know who he is. I told my wife, I said, this is what I felt like God spoke to me. Pastor Tom comes back and says, Darren says this is his dream job. Said that he wants the job but that as he's prayed about it, God is telling him he can't have it. I said, okay. Um, we should do lunch. <laughs> I wanted to say a lot of things at that point, but I just said, I think it's time that we do lunch. He said, okay, let's do that. We sat down, did lunch, and I felt like I was, okay, here's what happened. And he was at that prophetic presbytery when that took place, and I got stood up. And, and, and so we were down at the Magic Wand getting the best Chinese food in West Michigan. And, uh, he, and I tell him, I said, you know, here's what I heard. And all of a sudden, he says, oh, yeah, this is the Lord, this is the Lord, this is the Lord. And let me tell you something. That was July 18th when I heard I'm expediting the process. They scheduled me to speak at Access for the very first time, which was October 18th of 2012. July 18th, October 18th, August, September, October, 
it was three months to the day that I first walked up here and stood behind the pulpit and preached at the ministry that I now lead. And I didn't do a thing. Now, the story... It wasn't until my heart was right with God. that all of the supernatural activity started taking place, that the call of God came. And when it came, I was ready and I was positioned. But you know what? I'm still in the position right now, friends. God, if you don't want me here, if there's some, someone better fit for this, if you're, <laughs> excuse me, if you're calling me to do something else, my answer is yes. And it's a process that I don't think we ever graduate from on this side of eternity. Do you know what I'm saying? Stop worrying about your future. Stop worrying about your destiny. Stop worrying about your calling and worry about your relationship with God. If you're right with God, if you will pursue him and focus on him above all else, he will organize the rest of your life and he will bring you into the place of prospering and what he thinks is success for your life. And by the way, he's got a plan of success for your life that is so much better than the plans that you're making. And some of you need to make those plans, but also be ready to burn them if he asks you to. John 15 Verse 7, I'm going to end with this. It says this. If you abide in me, Jesus gives the word picture of him being the vine and us being the branch. He's the vine, we're the branch. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you desire. That word desire means of the Father. When you're plugged into the vine, when you are plugged into Jesus Christ, and his word is abiding in you, all of your desires are gonna come from the Father. They'll come from heaven. And he says, ask whatever you desire and it'll be done for you. Verse eight, by this, my Father gets the glory that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. That verse starts with abide in me. And my word, abide in you. That's all it's about. It's about him. Your relationship with him. We hope you enjoyed the message from Kurt Ains this week. If you liked what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at AccessRLC. And be sure to swing out Thursday nights at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at Resurrection Life Church.